Welcome to the Converge podcast, where we talk about having a Christian worldview in a non-Christian world. I am Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church. My name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church. And this is specifically a ministry to members of Village Church, but it is also for the world at large, where we can expose what it looks like when mission meets doctrine. Today, we're specifically going to be talking about the issue of why fathers matter. Well, today we are going to be talking about the issue of why fathers matter. It seems right now that every couple of weeks, a new issue kind of arises to the top that really shows where we are as a culture. It seems to be happening faster and faster right now. And during the recent uh, discussions on racial injustice, the issue <laughs> from a lot of political commentators um has been brought up that the real root of problems in minority communities is the issue of fatherlessness. And and the issue, though, is that this has wide-reaching consequences, and it does, but it is not, from our perspective, something that is relegated only to minority communities. And I think that is a complete misunderstanding um, when the opposite of this being a racial issue is actually true, because fatherlessness harms people everywhere it's found, and fatherlessness mm -hmm. is increasing, not just in minority communities. Fatherlessness is increasing in every demographic uh, in the United States. And so if we're going to love our neighbors, we have to talk about this. Now, this got a lot of attention probably uh, 15 years ago mm -hmm. up to about uh, 10 years ago or so. Uh, books started coming out about uh, how ministry had been geared towards uh, women yeah. uh, for the greater part of a few decades, and they called it the feminization of the church. I know one scholarly study came out, talked about the impotency of the church. One popular book that is actually being pulled from Amazon right now, it's been kicked off Kindle, is Why Men Hate Going to Church. That That's specifically titled Great Book. And it was about 10 years ago um, when we were in the midst of planting this church that that the idea and the understanding that to reach a family, you needed to reach fathers, that yeah. there was a huge gap uh, between women practicing their faith in the church and their husbands practicing their faith in the church. And so I want to really start the conversation just talking about the harms of fatherlessness. So, so talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. And um one of the reasons why we really need to talk about this is because as we have kind of talked through every episode we've done up till now, a biblical worldview matters. And so one thing that I have noticed in that recent discussion that you just mentioned is just the last couple of years, there is a hesitancy, even though we have all these stats, which I'm about to share that shows that fatherlessness is a big problem. There's a hesitancy to identify that as a problem as if that there's something wrong with pointing that out. And if we as the church can't talk about why fathers matters, I mean, what are we doing? We got to be right. able to talk about it. So here, here's the harms that are caused by fatherlessness. And when I say fatherlessness, what do we mean by that? It's probably quick definition would be helpful. We mean uh, homes where, where children are being raised without fathers in the homes, mm -hmm. uh, specifically without their biological fathers or adoptive fathers. Uh, all the stats show that just a guy in the home doesn't do the same thing. 
but actually having a biological father or an adopted father um, in the home makes a big difference for the outcomes of kids. And so uh, the alarming stat is 41% of all births in the U.S. are now to single moms. And it ends up being that over a third of all children in the U.S. Uh, end up growing up without a father in the home. And so we could spend an entire hour talking about all the negative outcomes. We're not going to do that. I, I'd encourage you research the negative outcomes of uh, of not having a father in the home. It, it'll be alarming to you. But let me just highlight just a, a few. Um, Almost every significant way that we value uh, well-being and happiness is reduced by fatherlessness. Uh, poverty is almost doubled by not having a father in the home. That's poverty throughout life. So for the kids, when they're kids, but then as they grow up, um, they're going to be twice as poor if they didn't grow up with a father. Uh, education is greatly decreased without a father in the home. All, doubled the amount of uh, not graduating from high school if a father's not in the home. Uh, drug and alcohol dependency is greatly increased, 279% increased without mm. a father in the home. Uh, crime increases dramatically. 70% of men in prison did not have a father uh, in the home when they were growing up most of the time. And then fatherlessness, and this is kind of where this cycle compounds on itself, which I'm sure you could speak to, fatherlessness decreases family stability child that didn't have a father in the home while they were growing up are much more likely to repeat that as they grow up. And so it causes this spiral of, you know, fatherlessness leads to more fatherlessness, which leads to more problems. Well, the, the issue that a lot of people ignore in this is that first, you're not giving your opinion there. You're giving research, right. scholarly data. Um, studies have been done at major universities to show the effects of fatherlessness on the home on the children, both boys and girls. And it has a different effect on boys than it has on girls, but it affects them equally. And some of this is common sense. Uh, when you look at just a home and the way that God designed it to be, and of course we are defending the nuclear family here, really? which is under attack, even within people, within the realm of people who claim faith in Jesus Christ, they're acting as though the nuclear family is a modern construct. It is not. Maybe the term nuclear family uh, is a modern construct, but yeah. this idea of what the family is goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. It's the God's original design. And so many of the reasons, like when you look at just the education stats, all right, you're taking one of the players off of the field where education is concerned. And so in a home with a single mother, well, she has to work more hours to provide for her family. So she's not home uh, to pay attention to what's going on where the education of the children is concerned. And you do not have a fully orbed view of the purpose for education, of the roles of men and women in the home. And so it's going to break down simply because it is a kind of a rebelling against the design of God. And of course, I don't say that to demean single mothers. Single mothers are, you know, for the most part, the ones that I know are rock stars. They're doing everything that they can. They're working doubly hard. But if you talk to a single mother who's raising children on her own, or even a single father who's raising children on her own, they will admit how much more difficult yeah. it is because you have removed uh, you know, the second most significant influence in the spouse, in the other parent that that child is going to have. And so when you look at poverty, when you look at education, when you look at drugs and alcohol, when you look at crime, when you look at 70% of men in prison were raised in a fatherless home, you have to then come to the realization that, yes, 
family stability is not just decreased, but it shows the value of family stability just in uh, the way that children are raised. Even there have been studies done. I think Brad Wilcox out of UVA did a study where um, just the effect of a father's pheromones on the biological and chemical makeup of a daughter where puberty is concerned, he doesn't have to say anything. He doesn't have to do anything. Just his presence in the home has a great effect on the chemical makeup of his daughter. And so we have to admit that part of loving others is not just meeting needs. Because I think sometimes we have a reductionistic mindset that what it means to love people is simply reduced to meeting needs of people who are in poverty, meeting needs of people who have drug and alcohol dependence, meeting needs of people who are less educated than other people. But the reality is, is that it is also a need for the Church of Jesus Christ to present and live out a biblical Uh, worldview where a stable nuclear family is concerned. Yeah. Another part of that whole equation and why that's so important is fatherlessness particularly harms uh, elements of society that are already vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And even you you look at at the Old Testament, God hates that. Mm -hmm. God hates like picking on the poor and and people who are already um, downtrodden. And fatherlessness is much more harmful on people who are lower in the economic um, status than others. And so that's <clears throat> like the most we can do to love our neighbors is to, to help um, combat fatherlessness right. in any way that we can. And pro- problems brought on by fatherlessness compound on each other. Yeah. And so one of, one of the most interesting things is that one of the buzzwords right now is to talk about privilege. Uh, you know, you know, recognize your privilege, yeah. check your privilege. And I think one of the things that many people miss out on is that the answer is not to reject this concept of what privilege looks like, but the answer is to kind of understand how do people get themselves Mm -hmm. into positions where they have a stable family? Because we do have a large segment of people that are looking at nuclear families where it is a mother, it is a father, it is children, and they're committed to staying together for the rest of their lives, and they're calling that privilege. Well, you can call it privilege, but that's positive privilege. That's the kind of privilege that while the the single-parent household compounds and leads on to more and more poverty generation after generation after generation— So also we need to see that the goal of Scripture, read the book of Proverbs, the goal of Scripture is for the next generation to experience privilege. That is always the goal of Scripture. And so our way of loving society at large, our way of promoting a public theology of embracing a biblical worldview is for us to compound privilege especially where biblical norms are concerned. And so in redemption and repentance, we have to have a view of promoting for our people what it looks like for a man and a woman to stay married their entire lives, for children to be raised both with a mother and a father. And as much as we advocate for adoption, we have to admit that the biblical worldview would have biological mothers and fathers raising their biological children. And that in no way demeans adoption. That in no way demeans adoptive parents. That in no way demeans adoptive children. That is a grace of God. That is a testament to the gospel. But we have to stop and ask ourselves, what is the 
best case scenario. And the best case scenario is always God's design. And the problem with our current cultural moment, and this has been happening since no-fault divorce started happening, is that we have lost our ideals. We have lost our vision that the best is always God's design. And we somehow think that the gospel erases God's best. It does not. It redeems us towards God's best. And so our role as Christians promoting a biblical worldview of family and especially a biblical worldview of fatherhood is that we propagate a two-parent household, a mother and a father raising children. Yeah, I mean, if if privilege is having a stable family, which that is identified out there in the secular Mm -hmm. culture, you can find that. Uh, Then our role as people with a biblical worldview is to help as many people as possible have that privilege. Yeah, Um, I mean, you you can criticize me all you want to. I'm going to propagate that privilege for the rest of my life. So let me talk about real quickly some of the causes of fatherlessness, and then we'll get on to to how the church addresses this issue. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to say right off the bat that the first and biggest cause of fatherlessness is a rejection of a biblical worldview mm-hmm. and is sin. And that's kind of unpopular to say, I think, because it it makes it sound like you're blaming the victim. But we have to be honest with where uh, fatherlessness starts. Yeah. And so yeah. We, we have to embrace the reality that it is the duty and the responsibility and the privilege of being a Christian to advocate for obeying the scripture in all areas. Therefore, we have to reject the cultural norm of premarital sex. Sex is meant to happen in the marriage bed and only in the marriage bed. Therefore, one of the issues of uh, children that are born out of wedlock to single mothers is the issue of premarital sex. We can't get away with that. That's just an objective fact. Now, there is a bevy of grace available in that issue, but we have to begin to embrace again the viewpoint that we are raising the next generation and even within the church that we are teaching people. Because I know you and I have both had conversations where we have had to teach people in their 40s and 50s that premarital sex is sin, that it is against God's good design for families. And guess what? Anytime you have sex, you could get pregnant. You could take all yeah, you could take all of the preventative measures under the sun and there's always going to be that potential and that possibility. And so we have rejected a biblical worldview of what sex is meant for. It is meant to be enjoyed by a husband and wife in monogamous marriage. Yeah, so the sexual revolution, it redefined the family. Right. And that it led to fatherlessness. And then another very interesting thing that happened um, is cultural progressives who kind of led that movement were complete hypocrites mm-hmm. in their own personal lives. They were continuing to have stable, and you can see this all through the data of the last 50 years. Um, they are continuing to have stable families, continuing to divorce at lower rates, continuing to have high levels of fatherhood, all the while in the culture through popular media and through the books they were writing, they're promoting the sexual revolution and, and destroying mm-hmm. families. And it's just a terrible thing. I think one thing, too, that I do want to highlight, though, is the reality that the root cause of this is rejecting a biblical worldview and sin also gives us hope. Mm-hmm. That we can recover a worldview and we can preach the gospel. You yeah, know, there are many people there. that are just completely ignorant of what the biblical worldview for marriage, what the biblical worldview for family, what the biblical worldview for sex looks like. And so Christians need to understand that that is part of the peculiarity of being a Christian, is that we not only embrace the biblical worldview in these fields, but we we thrive in it. Yeah. We find joy in it. We bless others around us. And so we've got to stop, again, 
reducing what it means to loving your neighbor to doing felt needs ministry towards them. Rather, we have to realize that a huge portion of loving your neighbor is also what you are doing in your personal life for your own good. Therefore, if you are not seeking to, no matter what, make your marriage work, no matter what, be committed to raising your children, you're not loving your neighbor. You are presenting an anti-biblical worldview where these issues are concerned. Yeah. One other issue real quick I want to highlight as a cause of fatherlessness, and then we'll, we'll get on to the church's response. Mm-hmm. But we need to understand the reality that that bad policy towards those in lower socioeconomic statuses has caused fatherlessness. And that's a shame for our country. There are um, multiple uh, welfare and other state programs that actually incentivize um, single moms to not have the father of their their children um, living with them. That that decentivize marriage. There there is a whole. We, we don't have time to go over those, but there are so many bad policies that actually promote fatherlessness. Mm-hmm. And so we need to at least identify and say that's wrong and that should be changed. Yeah, there are there are a lot of conversations to be had where. Racial disparities are concerned, um, where injustice is concerned, but there have been a lot of commentators that have just been wholesale rejected because they don't fall on whatever side of the political aisle you want to fall on when they point out that one of the greatest detriments to those who are in a lower socioeconomic status has been not the welfare system, but a welfare system that incentivizes fatherless homes. And that's currently what we have. If a man and a woman were to get married that are on welfare, they would lose their money uh, that they're getting from the government. And so in order not to lose their money, they don't get married. And when you don't enter into that type of commitment, you do nothing but propagate promiscuity. And you continue to kick the can down generation after generation, causing more and more poverty um, and less and less privilege among those people. So you want to talk about systemic issues that need to be addressed. That's a systemic issue that we need to address. Last thing is uh, I do want to acknowledge that there is such a thing as functional fatherlessness. Mm -hmm. And this kind of ties right into the church's response because um, you and I see it all the time. Right. (laughs) Father in the home, not acting like the father God designed him. Right. Is still a problem. Uh, Fathers who, who abdicate their responsibility to be a masculine influence in their son's lives, to be a masculine influence in their daughter's lives, to lead their wives, to lead the mother of their children into discipleship, to commit their family uh, to things that will promote discipleship within the home is what's currently uh, killing uh, discipleship inside of the church. And so if we're going to talk about solutions especially where functional fatherless is concerned, if we're going to be people who love the world, who promote a Christian worldview to others, then fathers have to step up to the plate. They have to take responsibility for their families. Absolutely. So what's the church's response? Like, What do we do to say to the world that fathers matter? Well, this is not in vogue now. It should be. It, it, should, it should have never stopped. Uh, Because now we find ourselves in a cultural moment where we think that the greatest threat to the church is that we don't elevate women uh, to roles of leadership that quite often the Bible doesn't have them in and the Bible says they should not be in. But 
our focus as pastors needs to be on fathers, needs to be on men. We have to teach the importance of fatherhood inside of our churches because what I'm seeing a lot of times in our churches is that our young men, and 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 even inside of our church, there is a huge segment of young men that quite frankly refuse to grow up. Uh, they have more interest in Fortnite. They have more interest in Call of Duty than they do becoming husbands and fathers. And we have to defy that. We have to go against that. We have to show the beauty of... Of fatherhood. We have to show the glory of fatherhood. We have to be people, <coughs> excuse me, who show the value of fatherhood and embrace the value of fatherhood to the extent that it is understood by the coming generations that there's nothing better that you could commit yourself to. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, no doubt we need to minister to the fatherlessness. That's right. part of being a Christian. Absolutely. But the part that we can't miss is that in proclaiming the gospel and in teaching people to follow all the commands of Jesus Christ, we are preventing fatherlessness. Right. Men, I think the greatest temptation to men, and this is also one reason why pornography runs rampant, men have a great temptation to waste time. I, you know, I, I see my, I see it happen to myself. Can I explain it? No, but men love devoting large amounts of time to things that don't matter all the while running away from things that do matter. I don't know if it is a fear of failure. I don't know if it is a father wound because they did not have a good father, mm -hmm. but men more than women seem to want to invest large portions of their time in things that don't matter. And so many of the divorces that we have to deal with inside of the church happens by and large because the husband was devoting a large portion of his time to things that didn't matter because he never grew up with a vision for his life greater than the same vision that he had when he was 16 years old. He wants to have cars, he wants to have video games, and he just wants a woman to be there for him mm -hmm. uh, when, when he needs intimacy. And men have to reject that. They have to reject, and it is a passivity towards good things that men have, where they are going to embrace worthless things. Even just this past week, uh, you know, a, a non-Christian commentator, uh, Joe Rogan, was talking about the issue of the generation that we have right now and the generation to come in video games. Uh, it's not that video games are immoral. Don't hear what I'm not mm -hmm. saying. But when your life is consumed hour after hour of playing a game that will never make you better at anything that matters in life, you have to begin to ask, am I living a life of worshiping a false god that is going to make me less of a man? Yep. And, and it does. It does. If, if it's just a small hobby in your life, that's fine. But if you are going home from work at night, and from 7 to 8 to 9 to 10 to 11, sometimes into the middle of the night, you are just investing hour after hour into video games. You are investing hour after hour binge watching things on Netflix and Hulu and you know maybe even Disney Plus if you're that kind of guy. Uh, but if you're doing that, you have to check your heart yeah. and say, if I claim to be a follower of Jesus, what am I teaching others about what masculinity is? What am I teaching others about what fatherhood is and what husbandry is? And so we have to look at that. And we have young married couples who are just saying, well, we're not going to think about kids until we're in our 30s to where biologically speaking, 
the wife and mother is going to be having a geriatric pregnancy that has great uh, risks involved because you just want to push your, your childhood further and further because you think that kids are going to suck the very life out of you. And I can tell you that is a lie from the pits of hell. Yeah. you talking about all that kind of makes me think about uh, what are men for and how are men designed to be fathers? Mm-hmm. And so when I think about that, the first place I think of is the cultural mandate in Genesis. Uh, I won't read all the text, but Genesis 128, Genesis 215, mm-hmm. this idea that God has created us to be fruitful and multiply and then to subdue the earth and to cultivate it. And so this is where you get the idea that that men are designed to be fathers who provide and protect. Yeah. And one thing that we've got to understand is that's called the dominion yep. mandate. And Adam, if you look at the way that created order was, and here is why, uh, and I'm not going to qualify anything that I say, <laughs> this is why complementarian, complementarianism is not a New Testament argument. It is an all mm-hmm. of Bible argument because in the beginning, God created Adam to lead Eve. And so men lead into the dominion mandate. We subdue the earth. We cultivate the earth. We create things, and that is what the man is called to do, but he is called to lead his family as he does that. And so we've got to get away from this idea that it is a it is a not supposed to be a normal progression in life for a boy to become a man right. by taking a wife right. and then fathering children. That is the biblical order of what maturity looks like. And so... If you, by willful decision, not by biological problem, if you, by willful decision, avoid marriage, unless you have that gift that nobody wants, the gift of singleness, avoid marriage and fatherhood because of personal reasons, you are not going to mature the way that God wants you to mature. You cannot obey the mandate. Again, it is a mandate. To create and cultivate, to be fruitful and multiply. You cannot obey that if you refuse to get married. You cannot obey that if you refuse to have children. And so what we're doing is, is we are allowing for people to have a completely unbiblical worldview and still act like they can grow in their discipleship. So long as you want to live an irresponsible life where you never move on to the next phase, whether it be career reasons, whether it be money reasons, or whether it be video game reasons, you simply will not grow up and mature because a great bit of maturity is found in finding joy and reproducing. A lot of this is we don't trust God's design. We don't right. trust that God has designed men to be providers and to be protectors and that we're going to find our ultimate joy and satisfaction in submitting to that mm-hmm. design that God has for us. And so that is where the church really needs to do a better job right. and push into teaching that reality. Well, um, and the church must unapologetically pour into men. Yeah. Uh, and 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 we I've caught flack for that. You've caught flack for that. Many people have. But when you, as a pastor... Say, I'm going to unapologetically embrace a biblical vision for discipleship, which means that husbands and fathers disciple their family. I am not the front line of discipleship in any family of village church. You are not the front line of discipleship, any family of village church. The father and the husband is the front line of discipleship in the families of village church. And so we 
unapologetically say our greatest burden and responsibility is to disciple the men of the church because that is how discipleship is going to spread like a wildfire. There's a phrase in church ministry about two decades ago, 15 years ago, that has kind of fallen out of favor now. And I think we want to say this is still true and it needs to keep being true. And that was this idea that you win the man, you win the family. Mm-hmm. And that's just based on God's design, I think. Wouldn't you agree? Well, it's based on God's design and it's proven statistically. <laughs> right, that's true. It's that's proven it that is. when... It has been proven statistically that when you reach the father first, over 90% of the time, every other family member, both wife and children, will come to faith in Jesus Christ. When you reach either the wife or the children first, the percentage of possibility of reaching the entire family drops more than half from that. And so we have to understand that we can reject the influence of father on family all that we want to um, in theory. But regardless, the stats are still the same. When you reach the father, you will reach the family almost every single time. Nine out of ten times, you will reach the entire Dramatic. family. Um, look at what scripture has to say about the blessings of fathers being involved in their kids' lives and, and that being reciprocated. So this is Malachi 4. Five through six says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. (laughs) It was a warning and a blessing. Right. All together. Yeah. I mean, when, when, when fathers turn away from their children, when fathers refuse to pour into their children, and quite frankly, when fathers refuse to pour the utmost of their affection, humanly speaking, into their families, it's going to invite a curse. Yep going to invite a curse. And we cannot be people who promote that in the world. We have to be a people that embrace the calling of fatherhood. Yeah. So what is a father's responsibility to disciple their family? Well, I think the Bible speaks about this at large. So back in Deuteronomy, of course, when God speaks through Moses to uh, explain the law of God, he tells the father that he is meant to disciple his family where the word of God is concerned, put it in front of their faces all of the time. But then in Ephesians chapter 6, we read something really interesting, starting in verse 1. He he talks about marriage in chapter 5. He says that husbands lead their wives. Husbands disciple their wives. Husbands are someday going to present their wives to God, and they are meant to do that without spot or wrinkle. But then in verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And parents love that text. Parents absolutely love to hammer down on this text and talk to their kids. Then verse 2, he says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. The way in which the text is laid out, you accomplish verse 1 by accomplishing verse 4. The way in which you get your children to obey you is to never allow them to disobey you. And that's one of the hardest things that I can get parents to understand is that the reason your children are disobedient all the time, the reason your children are belligerent all the time, the reason your children rebel against you at a young age all the time is because you let them. I don't allow disobedience in my household. We have a zero tolerance policy. If they disobey, boom, immediately they regret it. But the issue is, is you have really three spheres in here that the text is talking about. First, fathers. Note that he does not say mothers. 
And I think the greatest tragedy that we have in the local church right now is that we have a church full of men who expect their wives to raise their children. Yeah. That is a sin. That is against God. Why? Because you are finding joy in worthless places. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I see that happening all the time. I see fathers provoking their children to anger all of the time. So often, and I've seen this happen so many times, fathers, when they get around their kids, they pick on them. They poke them. They prod them. And you see the kid getting irritated. You see see the kid getting uncomfortable. And what you're seeing there is a father who doesn't know how to relate to his children. You're seeing a father trying to relate to his children, trying to get their attention. He doesn't know how because he has no intimacy with his children. And so what does he do? He provokes them. He picks, picks at them. He, you know, he, he annoys them. Stop that immediately. Don't do that anymore. But it goes beyond that. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest ways to provoke your children to anger is to discipline them when they don't know you that well. You provoke your children to anger when you try to hold them to a standard in a moment that you haven't been holding them to for a lifetime. And so a lot of parents, when they get their kids in public, their kids will do the same thing that they do at home. But in public, it's not okay. You were just too lazy to correct it at home. And so they're going to do publicly what you allow them to do privately. And when you try to stop them, guess what's going to happen? They're going to get angry. They're going to get belligerent. They're going to get upset. And so there's so much I could do with that text. There's so many things that I could do with that text. Uh, But I digress because I don't want to get too controversial (laughs) on this. But but the second thing that you see, it says bring them up in discipline. The discipline of the Lord is specifically when you you tease it out Mm -hmm. just for this section, the discipline of the Lord. And so this shows that it is your job not just to discipline them in activity, the actions that you want, you have to discipline them in the worldview that the Bible is going to give you. Yeah. Every father is the chief theologian of his home. Yeah. Every father. And so when I see guys that pour all of their affection in their lives into TV, all of their affection into video games, all their affection into you know, working on cars, all of their affection into this hobby or that hobby or the other hobby, then they will tell me, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time for theology. The only people that can legitimately tell me that they don't have time are people who don't watch TV, never play video games, never exercise, uh, never do lawn care. You never do anything. If you truly don't have time, you will not be pouring your life into all of these things. The reason you don't have time is because you're wasting your time. I will tell you, if you have the most beautiful lawn in your neighborhood, but your kids aren't being disciplined in the Lord, by you, and that's both formative and corrective. And by formative, I mean you are pouring yourself into the Bible so that you are an expert in the Bible for your home. You're pouring yourself into the theology and doctrine of the Lord so that you can be the chief theologian of your home, and you are correcting their behavior from a biblical perspective, and you are building a relationship with them where they know that you're fun, they know that you have joy, they know that you're for their good, they know that you love them. I would rather your grass be full of weeds, your bushes just be dying because of the heat. I would rather all of that to be true because you are investing your time in what eternally actually matters. You have to learn what is a right investment for my life. But then the third one, the instruction of the Lord. Now, I'm not going to go too far like some people probably think I will on this. I want to. Maybe I'll do that in a different episode. 
But it is the responsibility of fathers to educate their children academically. It's your job. Discipleship cannot be disconnected from academics. And one of the reasons that we have a worldview crisis right now is because Christians decided that academics and discipleship are two different things. So discipleship became about your emotions and your feelings. Academics became about facts. And because of that, we treat the Bible as though it is not factual. We treat theology as though it is theoretical and it is not factual. When all actuality, to be a father means that you embrace a vision in which you are the chief educator. And I'm not making a a pronouncement there on public, private, homeschool. I'm not making a pronouncement there. What I'm saying is that no matter how you choose to educate your children— you will not cede the ultimate authority of education in your children's lives to the government. You will not cede it to the private school, and you will not cede it to your wife where homeschooling is concerned. Now, we homeschool in my house, and I, I, in a way, will often joke that I am the superintendent of Gentry Christian Academy, (laughs) but I'm not joking. Right. It's my job to ensure that the curriculum is right. It is my responsibility to ensure that my children are learning. It's my responsibility to pick and be the expert of whatever Bible curriculum my kids have. If you have a child in public school, then it is your job as a father, because guess what? They're going to be teaching your child false doctrine in public schools from kindergarten. They're going to be teaching it. It is your job then to find a Bible curriculum for an academic subject. And when they come home from school at night, you do not watch sports until they do their Bible class with you at night. That is how serious raising them in the instruction of the Lord. Because when you don't raise them in the instruction of the Lord, do not be surprised when they come home and they embrace evolution. And they 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 reject creationism. They embrace secularism and reject Christianity. Don't be surprised. Yeah, to that point... Um very alarming stat that we recently saw because George Barna came out with this mm-hmm. was that a child's worldview is almost fully formed by age 13. Yeah. It's before they go to high school. And that, and when he says worldview, I think one thing, and this has come out recently that we've kind of become more aware of is a huge part of that worldview is often Darwinism. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an episode we need to do eventually here talking about that. But just, I think parents don't realize all that different worldviews can encompass and how they can um, reject uh, Christianity, but also that rejects fatherhood yep. <laughs> and people don't understand that. So absolutely it is the Christian father's responsibility to teach a biblical worldview to yeah. combat some of those. I things. mean, when you look at worldview formation at age 13, you then begin to understand the importance of kids ministry in the churches. Yeah. You then begin to understand the importance of being at church on Sunday morning so that your kids understand the precedent that Christianity takes in their lives. Uh, you, then you begin to understand why it's vital that you treat the Bible like an academic subject that is to be learned factually so that you can pass that on to your children. Yeah. My son, my oldest, is 10 years old. He's going to turn 11 in a couple of months. That means that he is two years away from having a fully formed worldview. Wow. That means that I have work. And yeah. I've had work. Yeah. That means that I have to pour into him the facts. And one of the greatest graces that happened in my life is by the time I was 13, I had a biblical worldview. 
I had a completely formed biblical worldview so that when the opposing worldviews came in, I had a foundation to jump off of, to reject them, to understand them, and to inform others of what a true biblical worldview was. And every child can do that. Oftentimes, the biggest problem with parents is, is that we don't understand how little time we have. And we treat 12, 12-year-olds like they're idiots. Now, granted, 12-year-old is not as smart as a 25-year-old, but a 12-year-old is able to be taught objective truth at high levels. And so, if your child is nearing 13 and your child cannot talk about creationism, cannot talk about the fact that God created the heavens and the earth, you are going to have an uphill battle with them based on the science textbooks that they're probably going to interact with in their schools. And so that means that you as a father have to become an expert in things that you don't want to be an expert in. You really do need to understand carbon dating. You really do need to understand the age of the earth. Yeah. You really do need to understand the historical truth of the resurrection of Jesus yeah. Christ. You really do need to understand the historicity of the Old Testament uh, because your kids are being taught. The question is, do you know what they're being yeah. taught? Uh, we have to value fatherhood to the degree that we pour our time into things that actually matter and we reject things that don't matter. And one of the huge elements there is that we commit to having our kids in church on Sunday mornings uh, because it's not just academics, but it is a lifestyle. And why church on Sunday mornings? It's not so that we can have more numbers. It's so that you have one place at least in your life that shows we are entering specifically into an environment to worship Jesus Christ with other Christians. And it shows the precedent of the commitment. I'm telling you, you parents who are discipling your children to value sports above absolutely everything else, you are teaching them that discipleship doesn't matter to you. Because here's the deal. It doesn't. It doesn't matter to you. If you are constantly putting something above uh, discipleship for your children and discipleship for yourself, then you can expect your children not to have a biblical worldview. The other quick things is kind of wrap this up here, but um, most of our discussion on the church's response has been focused on the discipleship of the church, which I think is mm -hmm. appropriate and where it needs to be. That That is the church's mission mm -hmm. in the world. But to kind of bring this full circle, we do want to still say that the church does need to proclaim the truth of family to the world mm -hmm. and the truth of the importance of fathers to the world. We do need to recognize that the culture is actively saying fathers don't matter. It's right. not that they're just ignoring the data. They're actually actively saying that it, the family structure doesn't matter. You can have uh, two moms in a home. You can have, uh, you know, just all kinds of different family arrangements and it's irrelevant to the, the children's upbringing. And so we need to be people who are willing to kind of put it out there that that's not true. Absolutely. And then will this get awkward? Awkward? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. but the Bible prepares us for that. Yep. I mean, it's so funny is that people are shocked when Peter tells us that we are going to be a peculiar people when people think we're peculiar. Yeah, Of course we're going to be peculiar, and we're going to be people that have to uh, proclaim the biblical worldview because that is a part of proclaiming the Bible, excuse me, the gospel. We have to be people willing to do that, even if 
it makes our neighbors feel a little bit awkward around us. Yep. And the world is also proclaiming egalitarianism, just saying that that men and women are interchangeable and that so that, you know, it doesn't even matter what role you take as a father. So a lot of the things that we've talked about of the specific responsibilities of fathers, even those in the world that would say it's an ideal situation to have a mom and a dad in the family would say it doesn't matter if the mom does some of those things. And we're saying that it does. Oh, 100%, 100% it matters. Yep. If your wife, mother of your children is doing all of the relationship building with your children, if she's doing all of the disciplining of your children, and every night you just get a report as to how your kids are doing, you are ceding your responsibility as a father. You need to be involved. Your your children need to know you. The greatest thing that I think uh, in this is that your children need to know that you're for them. And I think a lot of children Either A, they don't know if their dad is for them because he's the grumpy guy that's tired after a long day of work and doesn't want to talk to anybody. He just wants to sit in front of the TV. Or B, the father is training his children to not have a biblical worldview because he is just training them that these little activities and these little sports and these little games that for some reason you've convinced yourself your child's going to go pro in even if now, number one, your kid's not going to go pro in any sport, but number two, even if they do, if a child goes pro in a sport and loses his own soul, that's a tragedy. And it reminds me of something that Jesus said, because Jesus said the very same thing. You gain the whole world and lose your own soul. It's a tragedy. And that's what a lot of children are going to do. And it's going to be the father's fault. Absolutely. I think it would be helpful to end on this, and this is something I've heard you talk about before. So I think it would be helpful is in all this discussion of why fathers matter and the problems of fatherlessness, where is the hope in the gospel for the single mom and for the fatherless kids right now? The hope of the gospel is that and this is why God is such a wonderful God, that those who have a deficit in this world can have that def- deficit filled by the reality of who God is. You can have a bad father on this earth or an absentee father on this earth, and God will be the good father for you. You can have a wound from your father as an adult, and you can receive the grace of Jesus Christ for your sins so that you can give the grace of Jesus Christ to your father. We are not meant to find our identity in being a single father, being a single mother, being a child, Uh, or an adult whose father or mother abandoned them. We are meant to find our identity in Jesus Christ. And the amazing supernatural thing of that is when we find our identity in the Jesus who came to be perfect, who died for our sin and sins against us, and who rose again to give us a new life, he will give us a new life and he will fill all of those voids. He will begin to redeem and repair and restore all all of those holes that are left by the imperfect and even hurtful relationships in our lives so that we can build again. And for the single mothers who are mourning because the father is not there and will not be there, the beauty of that is is that you can pray, you can work, and you can lead. And God, number one, will fill the void. But number two, you need to lean into your church for masculine influences in your child's life. And the reason I say specifically masculine is because we do not have a world where, by and large, it's single fathers. We yeah. do have some. So, don't don't hear don't hear me wrong. But for the most part, it's single mothers. Yep, 
That's great. Well, we thank you for joining us today for this candid conversation about fatherhood and why fatherhood matters. We have so much more that we could have said and we will say in future podcasts. If you have any questions, please uh, send one in to ask at villagechurchrva.com and we will either respond to you directly or cover it in a future podcast. Thank you so much.